Welcome to the Statesman Journal's Explore Oregon podcast. I'm your host, Zach Ernest, and in each episode, producer David Davis and I highlight Oregon's most beautiful and interesting places. This podcast is brought to you by the American Forest Resource Council, supporting responsible forestry on public lands throughout the Pacific Northwest. Learn more at amforest.org. We're also supported by Visit Tillamook Coast, a land of ocean and forest just an hour from the Willamette Valley with a new recreation map you'll hear about later in the show. Finally, the Oregon Parks and Recreation Department encourages Oregonians to come out and experience the changing seasons, but also be well prepared for whatever winter brings. Remember, always check trip check before you head out to see what's going on in Oregon's mountains or even just the higher elevation areas. Always a smart idea, and that ties directly into our topic today, which is about the rise of people who need to be rescued from Oregon's outdoors and how to avoid that fate. But first, here's some guitar music to get us rolling. All right, today we're excited to welcome Scott Lucas, the search and rescue coordinator for the state of Oregon. We're going to talk about why more people have been needing rescue from the outdoors, how to protect yourself when you head out, and how search and rescue actually works in the state. So, Scott, thanks for being on. I appreciate it, Zach. Um, I always like to talk about my favorite subject, which is search and rescue here in Oregon. I feel like a lot of people know search and rescue exists, you know, mainly when they read about a dramatic rescue on Mount Hood or in the backcountry. But I don't think there's a great understanding of where it actually comes from. So you can can you kind of lay out how the search and rescue system works in Oregon? Of course, um, search and rescue in Oregon is a little bit unique. Uh, it's covered in um, state laws. Uh, and actually, in Oregon, the sheriff of each county as the sole responsibility for search and rescue in their county. So that's a little bit unique. Some states are different, but Oregon, uh, that's why I work with all the sheriff offices, all 36 counties, and each county has a designated SAR coordinator. And they have teams, volunteer teams. I think everybody thinks it's uh, <laughs> that everybody's waiting for a search and rescue. When someone calls, everybody runs out. It's uh, not quite that way, but... 99% of our SAR resources for searching as volunteers. Yeah. So, the, I mean, you know, if you are hiking out in the Calmeopsis, for for example, down in Southwest Oregon, and you get lost and need to search and rescue, that's, you know, going to be Curry County the, that's coming to the rescue. It's not the state of Oregon. And I've, I've always thought that's kind of unique, the way that <laughs> you have those, you know, very local teams in place. Yes, and that's correct. Uh, and, and, and one thing good, 911 seems to be, you know, our emergency alert uh, system to when someone does get lost or someone's overdue. Um, the 911, we have 44 of them in Oregon, and a good number of them are actually in the sheriff's office. So that makes it a little more streamlined when when someone does need to have a search and rescue uh, come out and uh, help them or locate them. Gotcha. Well, it's just it feels like one of those things that uh, people don't really know what it is until they really need to know what it is because they're in, in trouble or something like that. But let's let's start out with kind of the state of search and rescue right now, kind of in the recent history over the last few years. So one of the things I've, I've written about over 
uh, a lot recently, and we've talked about a lot, has been kind of the explosion of people going outside in Oregon, fueled both by the state's population growth and just more people being excited about activities like hiking and trail running or, you know, whatever it is. But has that generally translated into an uptick in rescue missions? And how's the pandemic impacted? So what what has search and rescue looked like as far as missions over the past, maybe, you know, five to, to two to, to right now? Well, we've seen an increase. Um, I know over the last five years, we probably increased our search and rescue missions, pro- uh, increased over 15%, almost to 20%. We have, uh, I keep a monthly, we have a database, we keep uh, monthly totals in and and, and I've seen the uh, increase in missions, and, I, and you're right, it's because of the population growth. It's because uh, Oregon has a lot of recreation. Uh, they advertise a lot of it. You, you know, you see travel Oregon advertising on uh, TV and even the Super Bowl. So that, that brings X, you know, amount of people in. And there's also a funny, um, there's also a unique uh, data on that where or 99% of the people we go look for either don't, don't belong to that county or they don't actually live in the state of Oregon. So that's another rub that we look at too, that uh, no one technically gets lost in their own county or needs assistance in their own county. So. Wow, that's that's a that's a unique set. Are you so so 99% of the people who are you getting rescued? Uh, 99% of them are not getting rescued in the county where they live. That that's Wow, what? <laughs> Nine, yeah, 99.1 if you want to be exact. But uh, the, yes, yeah, so that was something I brought to the Sheriff's Council a few years back. Uh, they were surprised and they, trust me, they use that statistic a lot. And uh, <laughs> and I do give them yearly, uh, I you know, the data changes, the uh, demographics change. Uh, COVID, like you mentioned COVID, uh, COVID did change where everybody went to do their recreation. Basically, I did a briefing on this last year that uh, in 2020, when everybody was supposed to stay home, I think they did stay home. And and I think they was, and when I got tired of Netflix and I think they watched too many probably history channels and uh, different TV show or shows and said, well, I can go do the outside. I, this looks easy. So we had a really influx of inexperience People pushed to the outside to recreate. And then we also had uh, a big push in the rural counties that usually we don't have a big uh, search and rescue mission in, and they don't have large SAR resources. So Wallawa County, you know, it went from seven missions to 49. So, and that's, and four of them were helicopter missions. So it changed a lot in the COVID I think it just put people out to where they, they want to get as far away they could from everybody else. And that's where they ended up. <laughs> gotcha. So I, I was going to ask you about what kind of trends you've been noticing, because, you know, we've reported a little bit on this kind of has it been a gradual uptick in the number of search and rescue missions or has it been kind of a, a spike in recent years? Like, how would you describe kind of the number of search and rescue missions? Has it been a, a you know, a, a gradual increase or like a, a big jump? I think, you know, it was. Uh, gradual for, for several years, I would say we do think we the data out right now is like 2011 to 2020. We haven't crunched 21 yet. Um, and for those missions increased. Um, I think our 10, you know, our 10 year total went over 10,000 
it increased quite a lot. The average now, I mean, we're averaging over a thousand SAR missions a year, um, wow. which is a lot of SAR. When I go back to the state uh, SAR council meetings, you know, with other states, you know, probably only state that comes close to that, maybe Arizona, or Colorado, near in the 700s. Uh, but wow. when I tell them, you know, we have, I think this year we, uh, we had 1,081 in 21. Uh, and we last year in COVID, during the COVID year and a big fire year, we had 1128. So, and in certain counties, I mean, uh, certain counties are always the ones, the big recreation counties. But we did have some changes this year because of the fires. Uh, it did change how people would go out and uh, where they chose to go do their outdoor activities and their adventures. And that might have led to a lot of uh, more unique SAR missions. Gotcha. I wanted to jump back to that number. So over, so 1,100 search and rescue missions in uh, 2021 or 2020? In 2020, 1,128. Wow. And, so that, and that's more than most states, correct? I mean, what would oh, you... Oh, that's it, doubled. I mean, that's, that's probably 40% higher than any state I know. And, and those are missions that we actually, the sheriff had to respond to. Sure. And, you know, and be it, it might only last, uh, I think the average, I think I did, you know, the average missions, you know, are usually eight hours, but yeah, 1128. And then uh, we slowed down a little bit this year, uh, but not too much. Well, it's just, it's just really interesting. I mean, why? It, it seems weird to me that Oregon would just be so much higher as far as missions compared to other states. Like, is it just having mountains and ocean and a lot of rural areas that would put us over the top? Is, or is it just... Uh, people being less prepared because they're from the city more. I, it's just such an odd thing. Being prepared, I would say that that is a kind of an issue we have. We 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 push a lot of uh, information out there. I think even this year, Oregon Emergency Management, we designated June to be search and rescue month, and I think it's being prepared. People in general underestimate uh, the environment they're in. Uh, yeah. I think being here in Oregon, I, I think, I don't think they think that, you know, anything out there can get them. I've seen them where they, uh, we rescue, you know, people that go hiking and, you know, and they don't have any water with them. They had a phone with them. They were in shorts and flip flops and they were gone, you know, day and a half, two days. And they thought, well, we just went for a hike. And I go, you know, and you want to say, well, you weren't prepared in the first place. You probably should have X amount of uh, things on you, you know, water, a little backpack, uh, you know, mm -hmm. snacks, uh, and, and and good equipment. You know, even for a hike, you know, have hiking shoes on, be prepared. I don't think it's from lack of uh, them not paying attention. I just I just think that uh, they don't they don't think Oregon is that uh, foreboding foreboding. You know that uh, they they think they can't handle it, and I. Maybe that's where it comes in. I feel like you're you're onto something there just because Oregon, you know, a lot of the wilderness areas are are very accessible. They're, you know, they're right off the highway and it doesn't feel as intimidating as, for example, going out to Montana. And, you know, that's why I lived and worked a long time ago where it felt like if you were heading out into the wilderness, you know, you were you were really going out there and you were going to be really prepared. Whereas in Oregon, it's pretty easy to just you know, get out into a wild place pretty quick with the idea of it's it's just going to be a quick trip. And so maybe you underestimate it. Um, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm fascinated by that. I, I didn't know that. It's, uh, yeah, or, I mean, Oregon's, just, you know, there's 100,000 square miles. I mean, we're the ninth largest state. You get out to Eastern Oregon, 
and you run out of cell coverage in a hurry and, and you're and low on resources too. And you can, you can go missing in a hurry. What areas are you noticing the biggest uptick in search and rescue missions? So where, where's the issue becoming more pronounced or becoming more of an issue where it wasn't before? I think you mentioned Wallowa County, but uh, what, what are some other ones? Basically, over the course of time, you know, your biggest counties for search and rescue and is, you know, the number one county always, probably for the last 10 years, has been Jackson County. And when I say that to people, they go, I don't know why Jackson County, what's to do down there? There's a lot of things to do down there. So Jack, and then Lane County kind of bumps up there too, but you got to remember these are big counties. And then Lane and Douglas County, they're always big because those counties go from the, you know, from the Cascades all the way to the coast. Mm-hmm. So they incorporate a lot of recreation along the way. I, Clackamas was one of them that bumped way up because of uh, the exposure of Multnomah fires and, and to an extent Hood River, uh, Marion County. We saw that happen this year where the last two years, their numbers you know, are triple digit now where they were down around maybe 40 or 50. Now they're you know, over 100. And I'm not talking Mount Hood missions where you know those are very few or where we had those big dramatic rescues like you were talking about um i noticed i did notice uh the shoots county is their numbers went way down and they're a big recreation county so people pushed out to the east i mean you saw baker county increase umatilla a few in the center lake county you know that got kind of popular until this past year where they uh, had three fires down there they kind of, I, I believe that they just go, if you can swim or walk on it or you can uh, ski on it, I mean, that's usually where your big uh, numbers are. But I did see in the last couple of years, with, or especially COVID and the fires, it did pigeonhole people back into different areas where used to be the big counties took all, you know, they had big numbers in the 140s. Now they're down just barely three digits. And it's got spread out to other counties, you know. Yeah, no, that that's really interesting. Um, for in terms of the activity, uh, what do you primarily see? I mean, you know, again, we read about these dramatic rescues on Mount Hood, but that sounds like that's kind of in the minority. So, do you have kind of a, a breakdown as the reasons or what people are doing when they end up calling for help? Is it people getting lost while they're hiking typically or hunting or mushroom hunting? Is there one activity that seems to stick out above the, above the rest when it comes to people calling for rescue when they're doing it? Well, you hit upon it, Zach. Hiking is your number one activity that uh, we probably get 75% of our search and rescues from. They're too confident. They're overconfident in their ability and they get themselves into trouble. And, and when they do that, then it gets serious in a hurry. Hunting, Eastern Oregon, hunting numbers, we do have them. It's not, it's not a great number of search and rescues. Most hunters carry GPSs and they're pretty smart about things. So uh, I don't, I don't, we do have hunting episodes, but that seems to be more of a, I want to say uh, elderly type, you know, they overcompensate for what, you know, they get out in the mountains and they can't, uh, they forget, they think, you know, as we all do, we all think we're 25 still. So, and, and the mushroom picking front is kind of a odd one. You'll hear about it, but mushroom, it's one of my favorites, but mushroom picking is not, you never get experienced people. They never get lost or misguided. It's usually 
somebody that says, hey, let's go out mushroom picking. And you got to remember mushroom picking, you know, you're looking at the ground constantly. So they look at the ground and you're walking and an hour later you look up and you don't know where you just, <laughs> you don't know where you were. And so uh, inexperience, yes, you'll, you'll get lost in a hurry. The experienced yeah. ones, you know, they know they have their areas. So, but hiking, yeah, hiking's your, your big one. Like, um, not, you know, the big sensational ones, like you said, are the mountains, whether it be Mount Hood or, you know, Mount Thielson down south or Jefferson. We had a large one in Jefferson last year. Those same, those take a lot of our efforts and resources. And they usually are um, lengthy. They'll, you know, be three or four days, maybe longer. But more and more, it's hiking. So take me through a little bit what that ends up looking like. Because you said, you know, 75% of the missions end up being hiking. So is it typically, you know, kind of inexperienced hikers that go out into an area maybe they're not familiar with, they take a wrong turn? Or, you know, can you give me any, any examples that sort of illustrate what you see most frequently, like what goes wrong? I think a lot of it is is they they know where they want to go. They may have not been there before. They have a map, but they have a cell phone. And it's something I keep pushing on it. Oregon's not really cell phone friendly once you get out of the valley in a certain places. And their maps go away. Uh, they, they lose connection. I know there's been a big thing about signs on trails. And we're in a... Uh, I think that was a big piece with the wilderness areas and the U.S. Forest Service and BLM and state. We we had a meeting about that, getting signage replaced because, you know, it gets and people, you know, look at signs. They see trails and they get confused. But I think it's, uh, you know, we push GPS as, you know, that you can track yourself, you know, like spot devices and in reach, uh, things like that. And but the hiking piece, I think they good intention uh they just they too much technology and they don't do good route uh, recon of how mm -hmm. to get from point a to point b i'm travis joseph i grew up exploring oregon's forests mountains lakes and rivers with my family today i lead the american forest resource council my love of the outdoors inspires me to advocate for better stewardship of our public lands and natural resources at AFRC, we value protecting Oregon's forests and the benefits they provide to all, clean air and water, healthy wildlife, top-notch recreation, and renewable climate-friendly wood products. We're proud to sponsor the Explore Oregon podcast. Learn more about us at amforest.org. All right, our newest sponsor is Visit Tillamook Coast a land of ocean beach, ancient forest, and a shocking number of beautiful places you might never have heard of, all centered around towns like Manzanita, Pacific City, and Tillamook. This is a beautiful area to visit, and the best way to plan a trip here is by looking at their newly created trails and recreation map. The map features 800 different sites from campgrounds to beaches to hiking trails. My favorite thing about the map is that it breaks down activities into 13 categories. So say you're looking for a campsite, just click on the drop-down menu and 22 different campsites appear, and you can get information on each one. If you're looking for a hike or a way to get on the water, the map has 40 different trails and 48 boat ramps, all laid out on an easy-to-navigate digital map. To find the map and get started, visit tillamookcoast.com slash recreation hyphen map.
Yeah, we, we one of the things that we stress a lot is doing your homework, you know, in advance, knowing what you're going to come across when you get there, you know, knowing what your route's going to be. Do you think people just rely on their phones uh, a little bit too much? Because, you know, I've got, you know, you can do a decent amount with your phones, but then you'll be out of cell phone service and, you know, good GPS you can get, you can track yourself, you know, without that. So, I mean, are you seeing an over-reliance on phones in a lot of these rescue missions? Well, I think that's what it is. The interviews we do, the post interviews. Yeah. I mean, they talk about, I had a map on my phone. Well, I have a map on my phone too, but uh, I don't use it when I go hiking. I have a Garmin, <laughs> so and uh, that's what I use. Uh, yeah, I, I think technology does get you, and, and it can be the same way. A lot of um, another thing we you didn't mention on activities with snow. Whenever it snows, I have no. Uh, there is a big influx of people wanting to drive into the snow. And, and why it's still snowing into the snowstorms and, and down roads and not prepared. Uh, and sometimes GPS takes them down those roads, too, because the GPS, Google or somebody won't say the road closed in the winter or it's not plowed in the winter. They don't say that. So we, we have X amount of that, too, of people getting drawn to the mountains in the snow and then getting stuck. I've had people three or four days lost in the snow in a car. And I had to go find them. And then they drive until they can't go any further. Then, you know, you're rescuing with snowcats and snowmobiles. They said, well, my phone said I can come down this road. And that's, you know, a lot of them people were from a different county or out of state. Yeah. So. Well, that makes sense on a number of levels. I mean, just because Oregon is, you know, where the people live in the valley, we hardly, you know, there's rarely snow. So there's kind of an inex <laughs> in in inexperience in dealing with snow. So it doesn't kind of surprise me that, you know, a lot of people that haven't seen snow very much, you know, they drive up to the mountains and they're really excited to get out there, but they're not really used to dealing with all the things uh, that it brings. No, I think that, um, I think we just had that. It's a good, uh, the one with that, uh, rescue we just had that was uh, in Lane County down there um, on New Year's Day. You know, that was a perfect example of two young kids that went camp snow camping and they were actually kind of prepared and they drove up to a place and uh, but then that big storm came in, those storms came in and buried them and there was no cell phone coverage up there and uh, they were, we just happened to we couldn't even get up there. We had to. That's when we sent the helicopter, Coast Guard, up there to find them and found them. And they had and they had been out of food for three days, oh, so uh, they couldn't communicate. Uh, we just and barely knew where they were by a, uh, a relative. So um, I think they went with the best intentions. They were prepared actually to stay X amount of days, but then they didn't. didn't. They didn't leave when they didn't check the weather, obviously, and see what the long range forecast was. And they didn't check. Uh, it's, it's quite a few mistakes they probably should have uh, they made. And they in, in in reflection, I'm sure they won't do that again. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious about that, because one thing uh, that I found is kind of a touchy subject with rescues um, is, you know, how it's covered and looked at on social media. I've noticed this kind of knee-jerk response for people to say, well, that person wasn't prepared. You know, they did something dumb and needed to be rescued. And sometimes that's the case. Oftentimes it's not. But what, what have you seen as far as, you know, are most of your rescues of people who were just clearly unprepared? Or is it, you know, people who might have been prepared, but just made like, you know, 
one and then two and then three mistakes and, and kind of gotten a bad place. Like, is it like, does it fit into one or the other? Is one of the other more predominant? Well, it, it predominantly it's just not being prepared, just not thinking uh, of what you're looking at, what you're looking at the basics, you know, mm-hmm. where am I going? What am I going to do when I get there? What should I have when I get there? I mean, have I done this before? This is a new location. Uh, do I have enough, you know, supplies? Um, have I checked the weather? I mean, there's a lot of, like I said, as much as technology we have, I'm surprised by how many people don't use it in advance, like the weather and things like that. Uh, experience basically is when they think they're t- experienced and they don't see any, they don't see any, you know, back bad side of it. They just assume that, uh, yeah, I can get myself out of anything. Those aren't as many as unprepared. And and then there's just accidents. I mean, you have accidents and that's just what happens. We have experienced climbers or hikers that go hiking and then they take the wrong step and they're out in the middle of nowhere and they slip. And uh, like you said, talking about Curry County, had one out there where she slipped and broke her hip and she was hiking by herself, mm-hmm. which is the one thing that I'm, I can't talk enough about is that no one should go out and the wilderness by themselves they should always have somebody with them or they should detail a plan where they're going to be to somebody in case they come they don't get back in time those are two things that are that i see all the time that they're they go by themselves and then when they get in trouble and they didn't tell anybody where they were going and and then you have to figure out where they are and if they don't have locating devices on them it becomes quite a uh, you know, life or death, you know, struggle to locate too. I often hear the question of whether a person that needs to be rescued can be billed for that. So what's, it, what's the answer there? If I go out and do something <laughs> dumb and I need a helicopter to come and get me, um, can you bill me for the helicopter or does that establish kind of a bad precedent where people might not call? There is one state, or New Hampshire, if you get lost in New Hampshire, they're going to bill you. They have it in the state, on their state laws. Oregon, we do have a uh, we have a state law 404 decimal 270, which says the sheriff can bill for a search and rescue up to five hundred dollars. Um, it's not something that we've done historically because we don't want people not to call for help, and so I think that's why we stay away from it. Uh, and you're right, you know, helicopters and all that time, yeah, that. That's a lot of money. And hell, you know, helos, helicopters, if you're going to bill it out, you know, they're anywhere from 3000 to, you know, $9,000 an hour. So, mm-hmm. and, but that's something we don't, that Oregon and Oregon, we just, um, we don't go down that road. We just, the sheriffs and the state has decided that uh, we would just educate, do education, try to get the numbers down. You know, you don't want high numbers, obviously. We're not proud of 1128 or you know 1081 this year i think education and and it's just until we uh, at the state like i said the population's gone up and and oregon's a big recreation state so i guess uh, we just have to keep educating and have more uh podcasts like this talk to people Well, you know, I, before we finish up, I want to kind of go through a checklist of things to consider. But before we get to that, I did want to touch in that on that search and rescue 
um, aspect as far as how it's paid for and supported. Because one of the, you know, I've spent a, a, a lot of time uh, with talking of the volunteers that make up search and rescue. You know, a lot of times they're buying their own equipment. You know, they're volunteering their own time. So I'm really in awe of a lot of the the search and rescue volunteers. They put a ton of training into it. But I, I can understand that it's sometimes a struggle for sheriff's office to be able to pay for all that stuff because, you know, when it's a complex rescue, there's a lot of equipment and moving parts. So what are some things that the state has done to try and fund these sheriff's offices that go out and do these rescues? Has there been improvement there? Uh, but I'm because, I mean, we have more rescues, so it stands to reason we'd have more need for, for money and resources. And you're right that the volunteers... Uh, we have a good, you know, we train them, you know, you know, they have to be certified. To, uh, we have a um, certification that we do in Oregon here. And um, so the volunteers, we try not to let them buy their, it's getting better that they that if they do buy their own equipment, it's because they have, want something special item. Uh, I think uh, OSSA is getting really good about uh, providing money out to uh, the, the counties and the big SAR counties. Uh, like Jackson and uh, Lane, the shoots and all that, they they have a good budget for search and rescue, um, and then they try to spread it out. OSSA has money they try to give to the other the smaller counties where it's more of a uh, strain on resources. Let's finish up here. So, if you're going to put together a checklist of things to consider before heading outdoors in Oregon. You know, what would what would be some big ones? What what are some things that people can do to avoid needing to get rescued? Well, I think pre-planning. I mean, you can check if you're if you're going to be say hiking and you want to go to uh, even if you if even experience even if you went to a place before I would you know check the weather first thing, you know, be prepared. You you, you know, check what the next 5 or t- you know, 3 to f- first day to, to 5 days of weather, you know, uh, What's the weather going to do? You know, what do I need to wear? If it's going to rain or if it might be possible snow or cold, what should I take with me? You know, basically uh, always, you know, always have um, a full battery for your cell phone. Uh, I mean, cell phones are good when you can, uh, in this state, you can text 911 if you get in trouble, which is something I've been pushing on too. So that uh, cell phones are good. GPS is a track. Uh, a tracker is better. Both of them together are good, you know. Good clothing, good boot, good shoes, good, especially for hiking. You know, water, snacks, food, just like you're going on a trip. You know, when you when you <laughs> when you plan a when you when you plan a trip for vacation, you make a list of where you want to do. When you go out to the outdoors, you should be doing the same thing. Sit down and make a list mm-hmm. of, of what you need uh, for that kind of environment. You know, depending on what your outdoor activity is going to be. Yeah. Just just about doing that homework. Jeez. Um, all right. Well, anything else you'd want listeners to know uh, about search and rescue, keeping themselves safe? I would just um, say that uh, be prepared. Always. Uh, I mean, we'll come if something does happen, unforeseen. Obviously, we we have one of the most professional search and rescue programs in the in the country. Uh, Oregon is considered one of the probably top three uh for proficiency. So, you know, uh, we do a good job when we have to do search and rescue. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, it's important stuff. And again, this was Scott Lucas, the search and rescue coordinator for the state of Oregon. 
thanks so much for your time, Scott. This is this has been eye opening. <laughs> no problem, Jack. I appreciate the time. And uh, like I said, I like talking about search and rescue, so I appreciate it. Well, that's about all the time we have left in today's show. We hope you learned a little more about search and rescue in Oregon and how to be prepared so that you don't meet that fate. If you like what you heard, check out our catalog of what is now over 50 episodes featuring Oregon's most beautiful and interesting places at statesandjournal.com, along with Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify. On a final note, this is actually going to be my final episode of the Explore Oregon podcast. I'm leaving the States and Journal after a run of just about 14 years for some new opportunities. So I'd like to just take a moment to thank anyone and everyone who has dropped a kind word or even criticism of the podcast in the past. You've really helped us sort of keep things going. It's been an amazing adventure. Zach and I have had a ton of fun doing this. It's going to continue under him and maybe someone new. So I'm looking forward to seeing how things play out. Yeah, it's been quite a journey. I mean, taking this podcast from this kernel of an idea into a place that it is today, which has, you know, a decent amount of listeners, is something that we are proud of. Not only did you hear David's voice on a lot of these podcasts, but he did an incredible amount of work producing, recording, editing, making the podcast possible. It was an incredible amount of fun talking about Oregon's lighthouses, frozen waterfalls, and about the time Lincoln City got into a fight with a fifth grade class over who had the shortest river in the United States. That remains probably my favorite topic of this entire run. (laughs) By the way, please listen to that early episode on Lincoln City. Uh, We probably attempted recording it over 20 different times before we felt like we finally got it right. Uh, The podcast, truly a labor of love. We will be continuing, but without David, won't be quite the same. And, And again, we'd like to thank our sponsors who make this all possible beginning with the American Forest Resource Council. AFRC supports responsible forestry on public lands throughout the Pacific Northwest for the environment, for our economy, and for our future. Learn more at amforest.org. We'd also like to thank Visit Tillamook Coast, a great place to plan your outdoor adventure with the help of their new recreation map. And thanks to the Oregon Parks and Recreation Department, which stresses the importance of recreating responsibly and leaving no trace in Oregon's outdoors. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join Zach for the next edition of the Explore Oregon podcast.